0: How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. I'm so glad to be here today. Of those of you that are visiting, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you guys to Catalyst Christian Church. We are in a series called Exponential. Um, before we get started, I want to, I want to recognize uh, uh, all of our uh, people that are graduating. I've been to two graduations in the last three weeks. Um uh, had some people graduate from West, some people graduating from college. Uh, I want to uh, welcome and, and acknowledge all of you all that have graduated, put in the hard work uh, and, and do that. So uh, this is graduation season. want to uh, uh, rec- just recognize all you guys. Well done. Great um, and may God bless you on the next phase, yeah, next phase of your journey. So, uh, all right, so two weeks ago, we, we talked about uh, chair one, which was the lost, how, uh, um, how each uh, chair, Jesus uh, has a different calling. For each of us, a different invitation for each of us. In chair one, Jesus said, come and see. Just come and see. Check it out. Check out what I'm doing. No, no commitment, no nothing. Just come and check out what I'm doing. Then Jesus says, as th- that was the loss. And then as they became followers of him, as they be- as, as they, uh, after they came and saw, uh, Jesus moved into two, chair two where he said, now come follow me. Come follow me. See what I'm doing. I want you to do life with me. I want you to to, uh, watch what I'm doing. I want you to learn from me. And this is a time of great growth. What happens here is conversion. And then what happens here is transformation as you begin to surrender your habits to the power of God and you begin to clean up things. And he begins to move prayer and study into the centrality of your life. And that's unfortunately where a lot of people just kind of stop. They they don't move on to the next uh, phase of discipleship, which is where it starts to get really exciting. Not saying that this isn't exciting, but so many people just kind of get stuck here and they start thinking that's what the Christian life is like. Me, I got to get my life together. I need to conquer my sins, and, and no doubt that is really important. But then after that, Jesus issues another call. He says, "Follow me, and I will send you out to reach the lost." That's the, uh, if you were a, a kid 40 years ago, you heard, it'll make you fishers of men. It basically um, is, is what Jesus calls us to do, all right? Some uh, truly amazing news came out a couple years ago, and it was confirmed a couple months ago. Truly amazing. It was an article I saw about the fastest growing church in the world. You guys know where it is. It's is not in America. It is not in a Western culture. Uh, it, is a, it is one of the most unlikely places you've ever seen, ever even fathomed a church being. It is in the country of Iran. That is where the fastest uh, growth of Christianity is occurring right now. The second place is Afghanistan. And in 1979, uh, when the Shah was deposed in Iran, Islamic hardliners came in and issued and set up an Islamic government. All missionaries were kicked out, um, all the evangelism was outlawed, Bibles were banned, pastors were arrested, everything like that. And the church thrived. In fact, Voice of the Martyrs states that in, of all Islamic countries, Iranians are the people most open to the gospel. Check this out. The article listed two reasons for this. One, violence in Islam has disillusioned a lot of people. But second, Iranian Christians have continued to boldly share Christ with the people in spite of persecution. As a result, more Iranians have become Christians in the last 20 years in the previous 13 centuries combined. How about that? In 1979, when the Shah was deposed, there were less than 500 Christians in Iran. Today, it's estimated they're more than a million. Think about that. Now, the, like, the, the, uh, and I read some stories about what's going on. A guy named Cameron was a violent man He used to sell drugs and weapons on the streets of Iran. One day, a friend gave him a New Testament. Uh, after reading for a few five consecutive days, Cameron gave his life to Jesus. When his friends and family saw his transformed life over the ensuing months, uh, many of them also came to faith. A church now meets in Cameron's home. He is a church planter now. Uh, Reza was a mullah who's a, mu- a Muslim scholar who hoped to become an Ayatollah, Shiite leader. Uh, one day while studying in his Islamic seminary in Iran, uh, he found a New Testament that had been left there by somebody. He started to, started to read it, and after, over time he fell in love with Jesus. Today, Reza is a trained church planter serving in the Iran region. And the, the, the amazing story was this lady named Fatima. Fatima, earliest memories of her life were being raped by her brothers. At age 11, she was sold in marriage to a drug-addicted man who abused her and then divorced her when she was 17. Upon returning home, uh, she was raped again, and, and, uh, and she decided to leave. On the street, she heard the gospel being preached by somebody, and she, uh, she trusted Jesus. In time, she married a Christian man while they were receiving training in evangelism and church planting, Fatima felt called to go back to her family that had abused her, and, and her entire family repented and gave their lives to the Lord. The first church Fatima and her husband planted was in her childhood home, the source of her trauma. Fatima felt called to go back home and witness to her family if her family repented and gave life lives to the Lord. The church in Iran is growing. At this rate, because these people understand what, a, what many American Christians don't—that following Jesus means that we are workers for the kingdom. All right, I don't see any reference in those articles to uh, location of church buildings, uh, budgets, uh, worship style, tax-free status—all the things that, that we talk about here. I don't see any reference to to uh, uh, to. to Uh, Making things easy, the right political party being in power, ideal circumstance, I don't hear any of that. I simply see references to workers for the kingdom. And one of the questions that we've constantly asked here in in, in church is this, how many people have become Christians in your church in the last year? We're always asked that. I would want to suggest that we start asking a different question. Everybody hear this. How many people in this church have led someone to Christ in the last year? Instead of saying, hey, we want 10 people to come to Christ this year in this church, what I'd rather see are 10 people say, hey, um, I want to lead my first person to Christ this year. So that in May of 2024, Lord willing, standing on this stage or you're sitting in church next to the person you led to Christ. That's what I would love to see. Um, that's really what I'd love to see. Uh, Jesus invited his disciples to come and see, then he invited them to follow him. And like I said, unfortunately, most, where, that's where most people stop. They think the purpose of Christianity is to get your life right, learn to pray, fall in love with God's word, let the Holy Spirit give you victory over sins, and those are deep and abiding truths so and not minimizing that at all. Now, that's where most of us land and stay for the next 50 or so years of our lives, and share two. That's not what Jesus modeled, certainly not what the Bible teaches. And one of the saddest episodes, I've shared this story before, but I, I bring it up because a lot of you have not heard it, um, one of the saddest episodes in 15 years of ministry was a conversation I had with a, a man who was about 15 to 20 years older than me, and he and his wife uh, called me and told me they were leaving our church, and I said, well, why? He said, well, we need more Bible studies, and I, and I said, okay, I, I, I get that. I get Bible studies are important, and said, yeah, we, we, we just need to go where there, where there are more Bible studies, and I said, okay. Let me ask you a question, though. I said, how long have you been a Christian? He goes, well, um, probably about 50 years or so. And I said, tell me, in that 50 years, what have you done with what you already know? He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, you've been following Jesus for 50 years. Obviously, you've studied the Bible. You've been in Bible studies. You've been to church, everything like that. What do you not know about the Bible that you need to know now? And he kind of looked at me like a blank, a blank stare. I said, well, you've got children, right? He goes, yeah, yeah, I've got children. I said, well, um, what would you say if they were 60 years old and still in college? Well, I need, to, I need to know more. I need to know more. I need to know more. I need to study a little bit more. I said, if they are still in college at age 60, you'd probably say, what, what are you doing? What, why haven't you used what you already knew to have a career? The purpose of college is training for a career. Why are you still in college? Guys, the purpose of studying the Bible is not simply to have knowledge about the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is get to know God better and be able to serve effectively in the kingdom. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we have Bible studies. It's not for Bible studies' sake. It's to make you a more effective worker for the kingdom to know Jesus better. And I said, what are you doing with what you already know? How many times do you need to study the Bible before you'll get out and start serving in the kingdom? And he looked at me and he goes, I, I just think we need more Bible studies. One of the saddest episodes of my life because what the church had taught him was the purpose of church was to gain knowledge. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But he was doing nothing with it. And so to the people who have been Christians for a while, my question is, is not, I, I love Bible studies, I'm, I'm in one, I, I'm in a community group, I study the Bible all the time, I'm not bashing that at all, but the purpose of that is to enable you to be a worker for the kingdom. So what kind of kingdom work are you doing? That's the question. What are you doing with what you've learned? And when we are to move on to Chair three become workers for the kingdom. See, guys, a shift happens when you move from your learning phase, your transformation phase, into becoming a worker for the kingdom. A shift happens. You become outward focused, and that is something that we need to understand in the church. There, two is inwardly focused about getting your life right and getting your beliefs right and getting your actions right, and there's nothing wrong with that, that we all have to be there. But um, uh, when, when you're in chair two your faith is very consumer oriented you're a taker you, you, you take more than, than, you, than you, you give you, you're, you're in a, a phase where you're growing but you're consuming a lot more than you're producing and that's fine while we're in that, in that phase but, uh, but we, we, uh, at some point we need to be producing work for the kingdom instead of just consuming it's okay to be in chair two it's not okay to stay in chair two Okay? it's okay to, to be a child there's nothing wrong with being a child it's not okay to stay a child God wants us to grow and some of you have been Christians for decades and never served in a ministry you've never served in children's ministry never served in youth ministry you never led worship up here that may not be your gifting you've never been on a mission trip you don't even give to people who do it's okay to be in chair too if that's where you're supposed to be but it's not okay to be in chair two if you're supposed to be moving on to the discipleship process you guys you become outwardly focused now your face is no longer just about you it is about making disciples by doing work for the kingdom about what you're uh, now Jesus opens your eyes to the needs and the work that he wants done by his church and it is astronomical you enter into a new chapter and experience the joy and the thrill of being a kingdom worker Okay, uh, Jesus said it himself, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his, into his harvest field. The harvest has never been the problem. The, the work out there, there will always be more orphans than we can ever serve. There will always be people who more people than, than we can reach with the gospel. Always be the loss, always be problems. It will never fall short. If you ever say, well, there's just nothing for me to do, you ain't been outside. Okay, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We see the point in this in, in disciples' lives in Luke five one through eleven, where they move from being chair two to chair three. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Uh, All the people were crowding around him listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, one belonging to Simon, asked him to put out a little way from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets." When they had done so, they caught such a huge, large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the boat so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of all the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything and followed him. We find five uh, aspects of chair three people in this story, okay? When you're ready to move from chair two to chair three, this is the first one. Number one is they were available, okay? They were available. Uh, they were sitting there listening to the word of God. And when Jesus said, hey, I wanna get out into your boat, they did it, okay? Now, I, want you, I wanna set the stage here. They worked hard all night and caught nothing. How many of y'all have had a day at work? Or a day where you've produced nothing, you spun your wheels, every plan is frustrated, everything has gone badly, you haven't produced anything, what kind of mood are you in? In a good mood? No, 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 no. And and, and so you're sitting there washing the nets, Now remember, this was in the day before refrigeration. He had not caught anything, so guess what? They weren't eating that day. And he had to go back home to the wife and tell tell her why there was no food. It caught nothing. Okay, he was not in a good place. And so he's watching his nets, and Jesus says, hey, put out into, I, I want to get in your boat. And you see Peter going, you got to be kidding me. This is, this is just my luck. I had the worst day of my life, and here's Jesus telling me to do something. Well, okay. He didn't say no. He said yes. He was available. Right? They were in close proximity to Jesus, so they were able to hear him. There were people that have not positioned themselves close to Jesus. There are people that should be here this morning that aren't here. They're not hearing the word of God. They're not giving worship. They're not here with the community. They're not positioned to hear the voice of God, okay? That, that it, it, everybody's busy, right? That's the problem, everybody's busy? Everybody says, well, I'm, I'm, I would be available. But I'm, I'm just so busy. I can't, I can't do everything God wants me to do. I'm just so busy, really? Most of us are not nearly as busy as we say they are, as we say we are. A study came out a, a year ago that said that the average teenager looks at a screen for seven hours and 22 minutes every day. If we were truly as busy as we say we are, we wouldn't have invented the term binge watching. Right? How busy would you be if you didn't have a screen to look at? How busy? How truly busy would you be? Are we really as busy as we say we are? Uh, we understand that moving, to chair two, moving from Chair 2 to Chair 3 is the natural thing, and not to do so is unnatural, like being in high school at age 40, that changes everything, all right? But are you available? Jesus doesn't care about your ability so much as your availability. Okay, chair 3 workers are people who position themselves close enough to Jesus to hear his call. They have available checked on their calendars, okay? So that, that's where they were. They were available. The second thing we find out is they responded to Jesus' instruction. Don't miss this. He saw the water's edge two boats, so he said, hey, get, out into, get put out in the deep, in, into the boat. Simon's so like, okay, I'll do it. And then Jesus dismissed the crowd. Hey, put out into deep water. He was like, you gotta be kidding me. Now, now, I thought I was done. Now I thought I was gonna go home. I've worked all night, I'm tired. And you now he wants to put out in deep water. That's where we just were. And not only that, but I've fished these waters since I was a kid. My father fished these waters. My grandfather fished these waters. I know where the fish are. This guy's a carpenter. How many of you all like it when somebody who doesn't know your business tells you how to do your job? You guys like that? Isn't that awesome? How many of you all had somebody that has no business, no idea what you do for a living come and tell you what to do? How's that go over? How y'all like that? Y'all like that? Well, that's what Peter, here's a carpenter, rabbi, telling me where to go fish. And he says this. He says, Master, We've worked hard all night, and we've caught nothing. Everything in me tells me not to do what you're telling me to do. You're a rabbi, you're not a fisherman. I'm a fisherman. I know my job. We've just been out here all night. There's not one fish in here. Everything in here is telling me to say no. Well, what does he say? But because you say so. I'll let down the nets. Everything uh, with, 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 with Peter was like, this doesn't make any sense. Every part of me knows there's nothing down there, but Jesus, because you say so, I'll do it. That's awesome. And that's what I would love to hear so many people in this church today. Research done by Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington, Illinois, showed something that really amazed me about Chair 2 people, people who were part of a church for more than two years. How many? Two. And had never made a commitment to Christ. Don't ever do it. Now, you would think that, that, that the more they heard the gospel, the more likely they would be to respond to Jesus, right? Wrong. The pro- study found the exact opposite. Why is that? Well, simple. People develop the habit of saying no. Uh, we have people in this church who are doing that right now. You know God wants you to do something. You know that there's a ministry you need to serve in or, or someone you need to invite to church or some, something in your life you need to clean up or, or, or whatever. You need to become a worker for the kingdom. You know that, but you just, eh, I'm good. Eh, I don't think I'm going to do that. People have become very, very, very good at saying no to Jesus. You're not an evil person. You're not the Antichrist. It's just that you develop a habit of saying no when God calls. Not these disciples. They were responsive to Jesus' instruction. I pray that you are too. And so let's just inventory right now. Let's take a personal inventory. People here and, and who are joining us online, have you become good at saying no to Jesus? Your default is no, I'm too busy. That's not for me. Someone else will do it. Nah, I'm good. How terrible a state to be a state to be in as a believer in Christ. Here's the Son of God who approaches you and says, "Hey, I've got something for you to do." You go, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Someone else will do it. I've put in my time. Heard that one? And believe me, that's not from Jesus. We know that's from the other place. Jesus gave them a simple instruction. They just did it. It wasn't hard. He said, put the boat in the water. Go out there in deep water. Let down the nets for a catch. Those weren't hard instructions. Most of what Jesus tells us to do isn't hard, y'all. Most. I didn't say all. Most. Most of what Jesus tells us to do is not hard. We just don't want to do it. It's not hard to serve in children's ministry. It's really not. It's right over there. It's not hard. It's an hour out of your week. It's one 168th of your week once a month. It's not hard to serve in youth ministry. It's not hard to pray for the lost. It's not hard to commit to being in church every Sunday. That's not hard to do. If you think that is hard, I would hate to think what it's like for the actual hard things in your life. You actually think those things are hard. Like I said, I don't know what you do when you come to buy a home or buy a car. Those are hard. It's not hard to go on a mission trip. It really isn't. It takes about the same amount of planning as it does to go on vacation. and costs a lot less. Most of Jesus' commands are not hard to do, you all. Chair three people are people who respond. They're people who engage with Jesus and his mission. They don't have the habit of saying no, like so many of us in here already are doing. The third thing they found out uh, that the chair three people, they're enthusiastic about what Jesus was doing. They're enthusiastic about it. They see something, man, they're inviting everybody to come see it. When, when they t- took in the big catch, when, when he was faithful to Jesus and took in the big catch, he signaled his buddies, get over here, and see, what, see what Jesus is doing. They were enthusiastic about what Jesus is doing. So is there any excitement with you when you see what the Lord is doing? If their first reaction was to call others for help, see what Jesus had done. And if you aren't enthusiastic about what Jesus is doing in this church, in your life, in the world, uh, you're not going to be much of a worker or a disciple maker. If a non-believer saw you and how enthusiastic you were about your faith, about what Jesus is doing, would they want what you've got? That's a good question. So are you enthusiastic about what God is doing? Does it fire you up? Certainly did for the disciples. However, there's one thing we have to know. Do you know they only saw God's blessing after they were obedient? How many times did they have to be obedient? Here's the number. Three times before they saw any blessings. They had to get out in the boat, put in the deep water, and let down your nets. They had to be obedient three times before they were, were blessed by God. See, blessing follows obedience, not obedience follows blessing. So many of us are saying, hey, God, if you bless me, I'll follow you. Hey, if you get me out of my jam, I'll follow you. Hey, if you do this for me, I'll follow you. Jesus like, no, no, no. No, I'm God. You follow me, and then I'll determine when to bless you because the blessing is not the end. Obedience is the end, okay? What if Peter said no? I know there aren't any fish out there. I know there aren't any. Nah, Jesus, I'm good. I'm just going to go to the house. I'm going to go to the house, sit in my chair, and wonder why life is so tough. I'm going to sit there and wonder why God never blesses me. I'm going to go there and and just you know basically get mad at God. You know I'm I'm getting mad at you. Why don't you provide for me? I'm going to do that. I'm just not going to do what you tell me. He would have missed out on the blessing if he had given all the excuses that we give. I'm busy. I'm tired. That's not for me. Somebody else can do it. He would have missed out on the blessing. There's a huge blessing he almost missed. And I wonder how many blessings are out there for you all that everybody in this church is missing because you're saying no. You're saying, no, I'm good. I'm busy. And God has a huge catch of fish for you if you would simply do what he says. People who are enthusiastic about what God is doing, usually those who are obedient first, they actually do what God says to do. And they're the ones that receive God's blessing big time. Number four, they were sensitive conviction. When Peter saw this blessing of God, he didn't celebrate and throw out his chest, say, Hey, look what a good guy I am. Look, 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 everybody, look, look how good I am. No, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I deserve none of this. Why would you bless me like this? My attitude's terrible. I was, I was secretly bad mouthing you in my heart. And Jesus' like, Yeah, I know I could hear you. You know, I'm a sinful man. Very strange thing, those who are closest to Christ are usually the ones that feel the weight of their sin the most. The ones who aren't in close fellowship with Christ, not much guidance from the Holy Spirit, ones whose sins don't really bother them all that much. Why would Peter say this? He just obeyed Jesus three times. That's better than most, wouldn't you say? Maybe he was struck with the fact that he doubted Jesus' simple command. Whatever it was, Peter was sensitive to correction. Chair three people must have sensitivity to correction and conviction, that's the only way you grow closer to the Lord. And, and the, the disease of leprosy, it is a disease of the nerve endings. You can't feel. It destroys your nerve endings, and you can't feel anything. You could put your hand into a fire and not know. And leprosy destroys you, it destroys you. You, you can't feel, you can't sense anything, okay? And that is what is infecting so many people that are far from Christ. They've got spiritual leprosy. They cannot feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They're walking into fire. Their hands are being burned in fire. They don't even know it spiritually, okay? The people who are in chair three do not have spiritual leprosy. They can actually sense a conviction from the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit corrects them and says this isn't right, they respond. They don't persist in their rebellion, okay? When... when uh, When you are sent to the Holy Spirit, you'll be grieved over the fact you'll wake up. Realize all of the prayers that you've had throughout the week have been about you. You'll be grieved over the part of your personality. that all of a sudden you realize is showing your witness for Christ. It's how you know you're in close fellowship with God. You're sensitive uh, sensitive to things that other people just aren't aware of. Number five, that they were sacrificial. And this is where Americans check out because we don't like to sacrifice. We like to be about us. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. They left everything. Did you hear that? They left everything. They were sacrificial. They said, I'm gonna give up that which I'm doing for that which is better, okay, okay? It left everything and followed him. In other words, Jesus' invitation to make disciples was more attractive to them than what they had currently going on. All right? Here are three people willing to make major changes to their lives in order to be faithful to Christ. I've seen it. I've seen people in this church do it. Uh, they aren't just, not just a tweak here and there. they are major changes that they're willing to make to follow Jesus. They use vacation time to go on a mission trip instead of to Disney World. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll move it to a different neighborhood so they can lower the mortgage so they can support missions more I've seen people do that um, they'll tell a coach they won't be there on Sunday mornings for games because they won't miss worship um, they'll, they'll change jobs they'll take a pay cut in order to do a, the work of God better I remember one time we did respite care a foster parent that my wife worked with I'll take that back my wife did the respite care I was gone most of the, most of the morning and early afternoon but I'm telling you We've been having that little baby in the house for a few hours. The crying, the attention he needed. I'm telling you, I mean, you've been out of infant mode for 10 years or or more. That's a rough situation. he was also the cutest little baby you've ever seen until he started crying. We just had him for a few hours on Saturday, but cheer three people will disrupt their entire lives to foster and adopt children. If you don't think that's sacrificial, you don't know much. Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, I'll send you out to win the lost. Why did Jesus tell them not to be afraid? They felt they left everything and followed him. So my question is, who is ready today to pull your boats up on shore, leave everything, and follow Jesus? Leave your excuses, leave your objections, leave the, the things you've got going on that really don't amount to much, your You're uh, uh, being successful in things that don't matter instead of being successful in things that do matter, right? How many of y'all are ready to do that today? I'm, I'm asking because that is the call of the Holy Spirit to Catalyst Christian Church today. If that is you, there are two things that you have to do. Number one, you have to find a personal ministry. You have to find something that fires you up. Someone told me once that your personal ministry is where your passion meets a worldwide need. It's not that way for, not everybody's going to have the same personal ministry, okay? Luke 10, 1 through 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. They were going to prepare the way for Jesus. That's exactly what we do. Where we go, and, uh, and where Jesus is going to go himself, right? A goal here at Catalyst is to get you to have a personal ministry. Everyone has, to, everyone needs a personal ministry. Okay, may, may be part of what we're doing here, and may not be. We want people to serve here in the church. We have we have ministry opportunities here at this church. You don't even have to go anywhere. There are people here who need discipleship. There are about forty little ones over there that need that need Christian adults to teach them about Jesus. We have youth ministry. We have mission teams. We have all kinds of things. There may be somebody sitting next to you that you have not met yet that needs discipleship in here, church every single Sunday. Okay? You don't even have to go outside this church if you want to be a worker. Okay? Uh, We want you to get alone in your prayer closet with God and let him lead you. Um, Ask yourself, Lord, what am I passionate about? What do you need me to do? Who needs me? Who needs me? Some people are passionate about prison ministry. Some people are passionate about hiking up mountains to, to uh, uh, build wells for people without clean water. Some people are passionate about praying for people, for lost people. Some people are passionate about uh, leading people in worship. Some people are passionate about preaching, church planning, providing food for the hungry. Whatever it is, that is your personal ministry, and that's the work you need to be doing. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. If we're supposed to ask the Lord of the Harvest Sin workers into the mission field. We expect that of every person here at Catalyst. That you would find a personal ministry. I'm, I'm passionate about a lot of things, Joel. Well, I even have a personal ministry. It's not uh, not being a senior pastor. That, that is obviously what I'm called to do. But my truest passion is this. I, I got alone with the Holy Spirit. and said, Lord, I have a personal ministry. I'm a Christian first. I'm, I'm a Christian before I'm a pastor. I don't know, most of you guys don't know that. I'm a Christian first. And the Lord has not exempted me from the call of ministry. And, and, and so I got along, Lord, what am I passionate about? What is it that makes, makes my heart beat more than just, more, more than, than my, my, uh, the full-time ministry you've given me here at Catalyst? And I realized this, that I am passionate about going to the hardest places I can find to bring the gospel there where there's no gospel. I realized what I'm passionate about is winning the lost. And the hardest places where no one else wants to go that's why God sent me to Asia, to get, get, get the teamwork started there, and Pakistan, and Nepal, and India, where we have our ministries going on. Sent me there, because that's a hard place, you all. That's why I love prison ministry. It's why I love teaching at Revive Life House on Monday mornings, and that's a hard place. Those guys need Jesus. That's why I wrote a book about marriage. I'm starting to teach marriage conferences, because marriage is in trouble, and, and that's a hard place. We've got to go and take the gospel there. All right? I'm the pastor of this church and I love it, but I have a personal ministry. that's unique just to me. And so do you. I realize, I realize that. I love going to the hardest places I can find because that's where the results are. That's where the results are, y'all. I'm tired of trying to get lukewarm people to be less lukewarm. I'm sick of that. I want to go where the, har- where, where the harvest is plentiful. The workers are absent. And I want to invite as many of you all to go there with me as well. And if you're not going to go there with me, that's fine. Make sure you're going where Jesus wants you to go, okay? Second thing that you have to do, if you're going to be a worker, if you're going to move from chair two to chair three, all right, you not only find your personal ministry, but two, you must prioritize. First Timothy 5.8 says this, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Your children, if you're a parent, are your first disciples, Okay, I don't want to see you outwinning the loss when your own family is, 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 uh, is, is floundering. I know it's a very sensitive subject, it really is. Parents who have self-children in the home. God has given you people in the home to disciple. And we're good at teaching them how to succeed in school. Do your homework, be successful in sports. But are we good at teaching them to follow Jesus? That is your number one priority. It's the only thing that matters. Jesus said it himself. What does it profit someone to gain the whole world yet lose your soul? So we have to prioritize. We've got to make sure our lives are in order, then our own families are in order before we can do anything else. Parents who have grown children, you're still the parent. Disciple your grown children. They will listen. Believe me. Discipleship starts in our homes. And the third thing, you will experience setbacks and victories. You won't reach everybody. You won't be successful in everything that you do. All I will tell you is this, is that... You will start to live. I remember the first time I entered a prison or do prison ministry. First time ever in the Fayette County Detention Center, we went through seven locked doors, okay? Seven locked doors and put us in a room and we got as far as hi, my name is and all of a sudden, sirens started going off. Lights going off and all of the doors closed, you know, banged shut. There had been a uh, fight in another pod, somewhere else in the, in, uh, um, uh, in the jail. And that's usually a cover for something else. You know, they get the guard's attention. Someone tries to do, make, make a drug deal, escape, whatever. So when a fight happens, they lock everything down until they can clear and find out everything. So here I was with, with uh, the, the, the guy I was leading with, a guy named Michael Jackson. Yeah? <laughs> Me, Michael Jackson... And 15 inmates locked in there. We weren't going anywhere. Okay, the Lord cleared my schedule in a very scary way. And I said, Well, guys, I'm not going anywhere. So guess what? Forever long I've got, you guys are going to hear about Jesus. And the Lord gave me four hours, four hours with those guys. Four hours. That became part of my story, you all. I can tell that story. The real significant thing. I got to talk with these men about their kids, about their, how, how they were afraid their kids would follow them in their footsteps, how they thought their lives, was, well, lives were over. They, they destroyed their lives. It was too late, and I was able to bring hope and tell them about Jesus. It became part of my story, you all. And every time that I've said yes to Jesus, he gives a story that, when you look back on it, means so much to you. I'm worried about people these days, I'm worried about you all, I'm worried about our kids, not because of what they're doing, but because of what they're not doing. One of the saddest things I can imagine is coming to the end of your life and realizing you created no stories for yourself. That your entire thrill of life, the entire adventure that you had in these short decades we have on this earth was lived through watching other people do cool stuff. On YouTube, reading about great exploits and watching the people are awesome videos on YouTube and sitting there and doing none of it yourself. How many of us have truly created stories ourselves of things that we look back on and say that was awesome that was an awesome episode in my life I'm so glad I did it every time I've said yes to Jesus I've gotten a story and those are the things I look back on and that mean the most to me chair three workers never have to worry if they'll create stories they'll live them they won't just read about what others do. Others just won't just watch it on TV. They'll actually do it. They'll actually live. If you've been hanging out in chair two, I'm going to as gently and as passionately as I can invite you to chair three and become a worker for the kingdom. Begin to do the work that Jesus calls us to do, to produce fruit The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers into his harvest field. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.